Welcome in to the TDN Fantasy Podcast. Different host today, Paige Demakos is not here, but I'm here with Jake Arians. We're going to break down the entire NFC West. But first, there's some big news that we need to talk about, and the biggest piece of news is A.J. Green's injury. He has torn ligaments in his ankle, and he's supposed to miss some undetermined amount of time, but it sounds like he's going to miss regular season time between maybe one and three weeks. Jake, how does this affect where you're going to draft him? And is he a player that you're trying to avoid now, given his long injury history and the fact he's going to be starting yet another season injured? You know, I don't think I'm going to avoid him, Jamie, because, you know, if if he drops two rounds and he plays 11 of your 14 weeks of your fantasy season, I think he's still going to be relevant, especially if you're getting him. You know, we talked about maybe taking him in the third this year instead of the first or second. If he gets down in the fifth or sixth, I'm absolutely snatching him up. You're talking about basically a high ankle sprain. They're describing it as torn ligaments, that kind of stuff, which is what that is. And he had a small uh, surgical procedure. That scares me a little bit. But, I mean, I think if he drops two rounds and I can get him in the fifth or the sixth, I'm snatching him up because you're talking about maybe a bench player or a flex option at that point. Uh, I think it does help Tyler Boyd's out. But the one bad thing with high ankle sprains is they can linger. You know, they're talking six to eight weeks to be back, and then you got to get back in football shape. And he got hurt the first day or first practice, first play of practice. So, you know, it does scare me a little bit, but I think only if, if, his, if he drops enough would I consider taking him. Yeah, I mean, for, for me, it, it's he's my – I mean, I have him – I dropped him down to, in my latest rankings on the draft network, like number 67 uh, overall, uh, which is, puts him right there in round six. And he's my number 29 wide receiver. So I, I'm with you. I would still take him in that spot. And I still think you're going to get t- wide receiver one production when he is on the field. You just have to know you're going to – you're going to be without him certain games. And again, he's probably not going to play every single game he plays for the rest of the season when he comes back from this. But it's just something you kind of just have to kind of have to deal with with him. But he's got such such high upside that he's tough to pass up on. Yeah, uh, but let's to Julian Edelman last year, right? I mean, you knew he was going yeah. four weeks. I mean, yeah. go ahead and plan on A.J. Green not being 100% till week five. If that's the case and you were getting Edelman last year in you know, six, seven, or eight, and he falls in your draft, I like it. Yeah, I, I do as well. But let's talk about another receiver that's going to be falling down drafts. That's Giants wide receiver Golden Tate. He's facing a four-game suspension. Uh, if you didn't see on Twitter, uh, he basically put out a lengthy statement saying he was they were going to a fertility clinic and he was using a supplement as they were trying to build their family. He realized there was a banned substance on there. Uh, let the NFL know uh, before the failed test and is appealing the suspension. The issue here is going to be there's not a lot of wiggle room in terms of this, the collectively bargained agreement for these types of suspensions. This is not like the domestic violence or some of the other things that we've seen that there isn't a clear-cut protocol for it. There's a very clear-cut protocol here. If he is suspended these four games, whether we think it's justified or not, how far are you dropping him? And again, what does this mean for Saquon Barkley in an offense that seems to be getting worse as we get closer to the regular season? Yeah, because they've already had injuries too, right? I mean, Sterling Shepard's Shepard, out 100%. Yeah. Callaway's out for the year. Um, or, yeah. Con- well, yeah. Cole Coleman, yeah. Yeah, Coleman's out for the year. Um, you know, to his credit, he told the Giants and he told the NFL right away. And it wasn't that he failed the test first. They already knew. Uh, and, and I've heard of guys like this. There's another guy that I know of that I'm not going to share his name that was actually taking fertility drugs. So anybody thinks he's lying, he's full of crap, he wasn't. Uh, he told them right away. And it has happened before. The problem is the other guy lost his, lost his appeal and got all four games as well. 
because uh, like as you're saying, there's not a lot of wiggle room. And I think you have to drop him farther than we were just talking about with A.J. Green because I don't think he's the same type of player. Although he wasn't getting that drafted that high anyway. Uh, so if he drops and now you're talking the same kind of thing, 10, 11, 12, I think you absolutely get him because their offense isn't going to be that good. And they've got to have a weapon. He's, he, he's a catch monster in a full PPR firm, format. So I think you kind of treat it like A.J. Green. If he drops three or four rounds from where you had him before – then, uh, then you take it because it's not going to be more than four games. Yeah, I mean, I, I have him dropping to round nine right now. I have him at pick 100 overall, but that, that'll drop if it, his suspension is indeed upheld. But yeah, if he gets into the 10th, 11th round, I, again, somebody has to catch balls in this Giants offense. And he's going to play in the slot. He's going to have some success there. And again, there will be some fantasy value in that offense, even if there's not a ton. So he's definitely someone I'm targeting now a few rounds later. And, and the reality is, he can now be on your bench for the first four weeks because he was going to be a borderline flex play for you anyway. So you might have had him on your bench more often than not in the first three or four weeks of the season. So in totality, it might not matter that much to you. And now you can get him three, four, five rounds later, maybe even more. We'll see how his ADP adjusts now that the suspension is out there. But At the end of the day, he's a guy that plays through injuries. He's going to be on the field for you. So as you start getting later in the year and we've had a bunch of injuries, he's probably going to be a pretty good option. He's going to be there. He's going to be acclimated to the offense. He's going to be a guy in that week 11, 12, 13, getting ready ready for the playoffs and fantasy stuff that we've had injuries and he's a guy that's just kind of sitting there going, he's kind of like Sterling Shepard's been for them in the past, right? Absolutely. And uh, again, Sterling Shepard, excuse me, is dealing with his own injury issues, but doesn't look like it's going to linger into the season, but kind of keep an eye on that. Last piece of news before we get into the NFC West is with the Miami Dolphins, because Ryan Fitzpatrick and Kalen Balazs are running pretty much exclusively with the first teams down there in Miami. So first, if Fitzpatrick is named the starter, where do you have him in your rankings? And two, should you be worried about drafting Kenyon Drake right now? Uh, I'd be very worried about drafting Kenyon Drake right now. If he's not running with the ones, even though we're talking about a new, you know, new coaching staff, new offensive staff. I mean, they fired their offensive line coach the other day, like the third day into camp. Uh, things aren't right in Miami. I'm not, which is telling me I'm not taking Fitzpatrick regardless. I love that he can play with a reckless abandon that doesn't really matter. But who's he throwing it to? If Kalen Blige is beating out Kenyon Drake, does that mean they're in the works for uh, Melvin Gordon? I don't. I don't. I just don't know. I mean, I think there's too many question marks to try to touch this. But we all had Kenyon Drake pretty high, thinking he was going to be the guy in the focal point. He's obviously not. Yeah, and I, and I dropped him outside my top 30 running backs. I moved Kalen Balage up. I, I, I'm I'm probably avoiding Kenyon Drake right now. Like I dropped him all the way down to number 80 overall. Um, I'm still kind of hedging my bets here because it's it's still early in camp, and you never know what can happen. But you do start to get concerned when you there are multiple regimes that kind of sour on the same player. Um, I, I think. I at least I was relying on the well. Adam Gase didn't like him. Now Adam Gase is gone, so let now he'll get the opportunity. Now you start to wonder if there are more prevalent issues there. Just considering this is a completely new regime with a new philosophy that's kind of coming to the same conclusion. At least it appears early on. With Fitzpatrick, uh, again, I'm not drafting him unless I'm in a two quarterback league. Like he's my quarterback 26. It's where I put him in my latest rankings now. If he starts. But I actually would give the Miami wide receivers a boost if he does start, the Devontae Parkers of the world, Albert Wilson, Kenny Stills, because I don't care that Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to throw with reckless abandon and throw 25 interceptions. You just want the opportunities for him to chuck the ball. 
Um, so I think for fantasy purposes, having those wide receivers, you would much rather have Fitzpatrick than Josh Rosen. But for real football reasons, the Dolphins are going to have to, at some point, whether it's week one or otherwise, figure out what they have in Josh Rosen and whether or not they need to be in the quarterback market in the upcoming draft. Yeah, and I mean, one thing that goes to both points is you're talking about a coaching staff from New England. All of these guys are New England guys. They're used to winning. So if the quarterback is not getting it done for you, you're not winning games, Rosen's going to play. Same thing with Balazs and Kenyon Drake. They're both going to play. These are all New England guys. They're used to having a revolving door at running back. All of that scares the crap out of me for fantasy purposes when it comes to the Dolphins. It, it does me as well. Again, it's just uh, I don't think I'm going to have any Miami Dolphins player on my roster. Maybe one of those wide receivers as a bench option, but I, I don't want anything to do with this running game. But let's get into the NFC West, and let's start with the team that came oh so close to winning the Super Bowl last year, the LA Rams. And let's start with one of the most interesting fantasy quarterbacks, I think, out there in Jared Goff. Last season, he started with five straight 33-plus point performances in fantasy to open the season. And by the end of Week 10, he was the number eight quarterback in fantasy points per game, averaging more than 21. Then Cooper Cup tore his ACL, and obviously that crazy Monday Night Football game where there was a gajillion points scored happened. But from Weeks 11 to 16, including that Kansas City game, Goff plummeted to the number 24 quarterback in fantasy points per game, averaging only 14. So dropped from 21.6 to 14.2 in the second half of the season. Where do you have Jared Goff this year, and which is the real Jared Goff? So here's the thing that scares me. It was also kind of going along with Todd Gurley's knee injury, which nobody knows right now, right? The consensus number one player in last year's fantasy drafts is now, what, the the sixth or seventh back you're talking about because nobody knows about this knee? Jared Goff was not the same player coming off the bye week in week 13 after that magnificent Monday night game against Kansas City. Just wasn't the same guy. He was not hitting the same open players. Uh, Sean McVay didn't have it schemed up the same way. Their offensive line wasn't as good. I'm not sure which guy is the real guy because those first eight weeks, everybody was wide open. McVay was a genius. I mean, you couldn't scheme it up any better to throw to wide open guys. When the windows got smaller, he struggled. Now, I still have him in that that range of probably below Rivers, Roethlisberger, Winston, uh, some of those guys, but probably closer to that 15 range because there are question marks. Cooper Cup's coming off that injury. He's not going to be the same guy. Robert Woods, Brandon Cooks was okay, but he wasn't really a number one. Uh, that offensive line has been really healthy for a couple of years. They've had some guys change and retire and, and not the same cohesive unit. If they have any injuries there, they've been really lucky for a couple of years on the injury. They, they really, they really have I mean, it's, it's, but it's hard to do. I mean, people talk about how good they've been. They were Those five offensive linemen played almost every week together for two years. Now some of them are gone, and if they have any injuries, I'm not real sure he's going to be the same guy. So I've dropped him down into that 13 to 15 range, kind of at the bottom of that that range you talk about once you have the elite guys gone. I'd like to have him on my team maybe as a bench option, but I, I think you could do better than than him as a number one. Yeah, in my latest rankings, I have him at QB 11, and again, he's right in the heart of that group. Like, And I truly believe, like when, when I did these rankings, and if you go to thedraftnetwork.com and see, from – I have 6 to 13 grouped with each other, and then I kind of have 14 through 18. But I kind of feel like 6 to 18 are all very similar. Like I want two of those guys, and I'm just going to ride it on a week-to-week matchup basis. But 
The upside is certainly there. We have seen it with Jared Goff before, but we have seen the downside. And he wasn't particularly strong in the postseason either. Like I, More often than not, he was a detriment to the Rams in the postseason. I know they still got to the Super Bowl, but that's a factor too. It wasn't like a few bad weeks and he shook out of it at the end of the season. Like It was from the bye week until right now, Jared Goff was a not a great fantasy football quarterback and not a great real-life quarterback in that period of time. So... No, and look, I mean, at the end of the day, Sean McVay is really damn good. We all have a lot of faith in Sean McVay. He now has an offseason to change things up, see what he has personnel-wise, move things around. He knows what Jared Goff's deficiencies are. He saw that. He can scheme around that. So, I mean, they're going to throw it a lot. So I think he's still a good option. I just I dropped him down towards the bottom of that group you're talking about just because there are question marks. I don't think there's as many question marks in other No, places. I agree. But let's talk about the biggest question mark in fantasy football this year. It's Todd Gurley, uh, the consensus number one player. Uh, before uh, the injuries going in, before he got hurt late last season. He finishes the number one fantasy running back two years in a row with Sean McVay. Where do you have him now? Because this knee injury is a mystery. His workload's a mystery. Where do you, f- I mean, you're never going to feel comfortable taking him, but where do you start to truly consider taking him in fantasy drafts? You know, if, if I'm picking like seventh in the first round of a 12-man league and I get to that second round pick and there's a bunch of weird stuff going on, maybe. But really for me, it's going to be round three if he's still there. I, I have a lot of questions on his workload, what he can handle. I think they think they're going to be really good and they want to save him for late. So it wouldn't surprise me if he's early. But you go break down his stuff last year. He had a bunch of games where only had like 54 yards running, but he had two touchdowns. They're going to score, and if if he's still going to be the red zone guy, he's still going to be viable. But, man, there's a lot of things that scare me here. I mean, he he disappeared. He was supposed to – he took three weeks off at the end of the season, was supposed to come back and play, and hardly played in the playoffs. I mean, he just – C.J. Anderson was was good, yes, but he's not Todd Gurley, and you're not going to replace Todd Gurley with C.J. Anderson if Todd Gurley can go, and he couldn't go, obviously. So he scares me, but he catches it. He runs it. That offense fits him. It goes through him. I just don't know what you're going to see. To me, there's a lot of question marks. I mean, like right now, you put him ahead of Melvin Gordon. Probably Melvin Gordon's not playing, you know, but I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't think I'd touch it unless he's sitting there in round three. And then I'd probably it's tough. Look, drafting Todd Gurley is not for the risk averse. Uh, I mean, you're taking a big chance here. But the thing that I think there's a big benefit is you're coming down off of such a high point total that you can afford – a significant amount of regression and still get a quality player. Uh, I think I saw something over the last two years. If you took away 30% of his production, he would still be a running back one. Uh, he obviously wouldn't be number one, but he would be a running back one. Uh, and that's kind of where I, I'm looking right now. I have him as my number 10 running back and I have him number 14 overall. So I have him in the second round there. If look, if you want to, I hear the guys I have going just after him that are at running back are you know Tyree Kill, Odo Beckham, Antonio Brown, Juju Smith-Schuster. If you want to take one of those other top wide receivers and go maybe wide receiver, wide receiver to start your draft, I get it, I understand. There's inherently less risk in drafting one of those guys, but I think there's significantly less upside too. I I just look at this as I, I'm worried about him not playing on third downs because if they do truly use um, Darrell Henderson in that quote-unquote Chris Thompson-type role that Sean McVay talked about, uh, you know that, that would hurt his numbers a little bit. But part of me is like, I don't know how to grade Todd Gurley right now because he's not going to get the workload he had before. So would I rather him kind of be a two-down back that's used a lot in the red zone and on the field for that? Or do I want him to be a three-down back that's going to play 10 games? Like, So I just, to me, 
it's tough. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really, really tough, right? I mean, it's uh, to me, I'd go more conservative in the first two or three rounds because you're not winning your league by your first two or three picks. You can't win it without doing good on those two, those two or three picks. You can die. Look at everybody lady on Bell last year. But you're making your roster later on, right? You're getting your value later on. I'd go more conservative, and I'm not sure I'd touch him unless he's sitting there in three, and then I'd probably take. Yeah, him I mean, on. currently his ADP is right now is about pick fifteen. So I mean, he's he's pretty much going in the second round in a lot of places. It's again, I, yeah, I, I, I get it. I, I truly do. But there's a lot of question marks at the running back position right now at the back half of the first round. If you don't have a top five pick, your running back one is going to have some amount of questions to them, no matter what. Uh, whether it's Gurley or Melvin Gordon or Joe Mixon. I mean, there's going to be something there that, you know, you're not going to feel super comfortable, even if as much as you like those guys, there's a lot of question marks there. What do you think about Gurley's backup right now, Darrell Henderson, the rookie? Uh, people are throwing his, has been pushing his value up near the top 100 all off season. And I think it's going to continue to rise with the new, with the comments Sean McVay made about the Chris Thompson type role. Even assuming you don't have Todd Gurley on your roster, because I don't think Henderson is the true handcuff there. But if you're just sort of drafting Daryl Henderson on his own, where do you have him? You know, it's kind of like taking that flyer late, eleven or twelve, um, maybe round ten, depending on what comes out. I mean, the problem with Gurley is he's not going to play in the preseason. He never does anyway, so it's not like you're going to get him. To, you're not going to see like him rip off a thirty yard run and go, "Oh, he looks like Todd Gurley of old." I'm going to take him in the first or second round. You're not going to see that. So you're taking a flyer, and if we're right and there are lingering issues and they're going to limit his role, somebody else is going to have to step into it. So he's worth having as a flex option and a bench player later. I'm not touching that before probably t- round center. Yeah, I'm a little higher on him now. Uh, that was where I was before this, this, these comments from Sean McVay came out. I actually like the idea that there might be a role for Daryl Henderson regardless of Todd Gurley's health. Uh, I think people were miscasting him as the handcuff where I think Malcolm Brown is most likely to get a lot of touches too. I think there's going to be a mix yes. there. But if there's a defined role for what Henderson can be with Gurley on and off the field, that's a little bit more predictable. We have seen that role work. If it's a Deion Lewis-type role, um, I don't think it's going to be quite as productive as James White, for example. But that similar role, Deion Lewis, Jalen Richard, if there's that guaranteed role where I'm going to maybe get him four or five catches a game and a handful of carries here and there depending on Gurley's health – that has some flex value. And if Gurley's out, he's going to split carries with Malcolm Brown, so that would increase his value maybe into RB2 territory. So I'm kind of looking at him as, you know, a little bit, I don't know, I, I don't have him quite this high, but I'm looking at him as maybe Austin Eckler light in terms of what role he could possibly have. Again, not style of play, but the role he possibly could have in that offense. And that intrigues me enough to say that he might be worth somebody you put on your bench pretty early on that could have some flex value for you. Yeah, I'm I'm not as much as no risk it no 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 risk it no biscuit as my dad is right. I'm, I'm I'm I think there's better options. I wasn't a big Chris Thompson fan even when he was catching all those balls. It bit me a couple times, but there's just too much fluctuation in your bench when you're doing that stuff. To me, I think you're going to have better options unless you're getting him later. But I, I agree with what you're saying. I mean, that role could yeah, be really. So good. let's let's move on to the wide receivers: Brandon Cooks, Robert Woods, Cooper Cup. Uh, they're all, they're all inside of my top 20 wide receivers. Uh, and I will preface this by saying this. I don't think all three of them finish the year in the top 20 because that's extremely difficult to do, but they're all, they're all kind of at that back half of the top 20 for me. Do you have a preferred option here? Yeah, I had cooks last year. I took cooks pretty high and two of my drafts, 
wasn't great early. Kerper Cup got hurt, and he, he kind of stepped up. He was never a number one. I don't think they have a true number one. Robert Woods is more of a possession guy that catches more balls. I still think Cooks has more upside. And Cooper Cup's going to work his tail off to get back, but he's not going to be the same guy. You know how I am with ACL. So I'm going to shy away from him unless he's sitting there late, but he's a big name now. A lot of people are going to take him uh, fairly early. I, th- I think Cooks is the number one guy. But I don't think there's a huge separation between him and Robert Woods in a PPR. Format. No, I, I agree. And, and basically, the, the consensus agrees, too. Right now, Brandon Cooks' ADP is 41.3 and Woods is 41.7. I mean, they're going right around each other. Uh, I, and even in my rankings, I have them 17th and 9th – or excuse me, I have them 16th and 17th in my rankings with Brandon Cooks getting the slight edge to me. I just think Cooks has more upside. I know Woods had the better season last year, but I think if you're looking for somebody that could spring – into true wide receiver one territory, it's Brandon Cooks if everything goes right. And he still has more to give based on what I saw last year, where I think Robert Woods is that's the peak, which was damn good. Don't get me wrong, but that's the peak of what you're going to get from Robert Woods. Yeah, absolutely. That's the peak, but they're still taking three or four shots a game to Cooks. He's a well rounded number one type guy that still has over the top speed that they're going to take their shots with. So I think there's definitely your, your upside right there. Yeah, and Cooper Cup, I'm just going to be perfectly honest, is probably a guy I'm still a little too high on uh, for where, just based on coming off the ACL. That's your boy, though. You, you, I do you like him, and I, I, Goff was a different quarterback when Cooper Cup was in the game. Like, he was a completely different player. Uh, but you know, he's somebody that as I'm looking at my rankings, I have him 19th right now in my latest rankings. I feel like I might have to kind of push him down. You know, I'm looking at the Kenny Galladay's, Mike Williams, Chris Godwin, Alshon Jeffries, Tyler Boyd's of the world. And I'm thinking, you know, push comes to shove again, how risky, how much of a chance do I want to take here? Would I grab one of those guys that are a little bit safer options over Cooper cup, who will be productive when he plays, but you don't know how many games he's going to play or if he's going to miss time at the beginning of the year. So I'll take Tyler Moore yeah. or Chris Godwin over uh, right there, now all day long. In, until there's a, a tight end to sort out in this offense. Um, I'm not touching Everett or Higby. They're both both could be decent players, but we haven't seen a consistent tight end production in this offense for some time. Uh, I'm the big I'm a big Greg Zerline fan. I would actually take him a few rounds before the final draft. I think he is the one kicker in fantasy that gives you a major advantage because he always finishes the year. So like somewhere between one and a half and two points per game better than even the number two kicker. Uh, so that, yep. I fight over him every year. You and I fought over him last year, and you got him. I mean, I've had him have probably five or six 20-plus point games for me in the last couple of years. He is an absolute beast, strong leg, and they score a ton of points. I don't think any of that changes. I mean, I think he's Absolutely. right where he's been the last couple of years. He had the injury last year for a couple of weeks, but I don't think you can count on that. How do you feel about the Rams' defense, top three the last two years? I have him number two on my list. Where do you have them? I, I think they're right there in their top five. I don't know if they're top three. It's really hard to, to shake that out because their offense is going to be different. So their offense isn't as good as it was. That defense was not that good last year. That offense was that good for like 10 weeks. Yeah. They weren't out there that much. They gave up points. They gave up yards. So I don't have them necessarily one or two. I think they're top five. I think they're draftable. Uh, they probably start getting into that category we've talked about, like a lot of other defenses where they're matchup dependent. And you're playing them week by week. But they're probably one of the teams you'd like to have on your bench are on your roster for probably 10 or 12 weeks where they're, you're playing yeah, them 8 of the 12, right? So they're, they're probably in that lower range. Maybe you draft them in the last well, round. And I think that's one of the point about where you can get them because right now they're still the Bears defense is going in like round 9. Like, and it's just it's crazy to me. I mean, even the Rams are in round 12, but that's the difference between defense 1 and defense 2. And by the way, there won't be three rounds worth of point difference between those two when the season's over. So 
I'm waiting on defenses, but if you're, let's say you're in a shallow bench league or you don't have as many starting spots, I'm perfectly okay with taking them in the, you know, 12th, 13th, 14th round or something like that. I would wait. I'm not going to take them there, but if you want to get them, that's where they're going. Let's move on to Seattle. Let's talk about quarterback Russell Wilson, who had the one of the most interesting paths to a top 10 finish last year because he was really struggling early in the season, came on late, had an absurdly high touchdown percentage. Where do you see him this year? What do you think his prospects are? You know, I got him at the top of that kind of list of, of all those guys and maybe just in between the top three or four. And then you have those guys you keep talking about that are all kind of bunched up six through 14 kind of thing. I think he's kind of like the one guy in between that. Um, he's got more weapons. We'll see how DK Metcalf fits in. The running game was pretty solid with Chris Carson. They're, they're raving about Rashad Penny, how he turned, you know, learned how to be a pro and they're expecting big things, having two backs. I think that doesn't do anything but help him. He's going to get his, and let's be honest, everything in Seattle goes through him. Nobody's more clutch. Nobody throws a better deep ball. And you have DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett. I, I think he's right there in that four, five, six range that, you know, maybe you take him ahead of the Roethlisberger's and Winston's and Goff's and those guys and even Drew Brees. Yeah, I, he's actually at the top of that tier for me that I talk about. He's my quarterback six. He's at the very top of that 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 run. Uh, look, I, I understand that his touchdown rate was high and that's going to come back down. But he's also going to throw a lot more than he did last year. Um, he doesn't have as high of a rushing upside as he used to. He's just not running. He's scrambling, but he's not running as much as he used to. But, I mean, I, I think – Doug Baldwin not being there hurts, but they do add DK Metcalf. I think David Moore showed some signs at the end of the season that he could be a player that can be productive in that offense. Uh, with Daryl Bevel not there, I think they're going to throw overall more in general. Uh, he's somebody that, again, if if I can get him, I mean, right right now he's going above his ADP. Again, I'm not reaching for any of these guys, but uh, is at the top of that tier for me. What do you make of the running back situation? Chris Carson, Rashad Penny. Is the best player going to play, or is this going to be more of a timeshare? I think it's going to have to be a timeshare. I mean, Chris Carson proved last year he's a, he could be the number one option for them. But Rashad Penny, when when played, especially towards the end of the year, really broke off some runs. I think he's a, a bigger home run threat. I think it's going to be more of the hot hand. Both of these guys, uh, Rashad Penny didn't really struggle with injury, but Chris Carson has in the past. Pete Carroll wants to win games. He wants to win this division. He thinks the Rams are going to be down a little bit. He thinks they're getting better and that they have a chance to do that. So the best player is going to play. Uh, I think Rashad Penny has the most upside if he gets the most carries, but I think you're still looking at a time. I think so too, but I still would give the edge here to Chris Carson. He's my RB 22. I I would be perfectly happy with him as my second running back in 12 team formats. I have Penny a little bit further down at 34. He's going to be productive. Both guys are going to be worth owning, even independent of each other. I don't think you have to reach for Rajad Penny if you're a Chris Carson owner. But I just Carson was really, really strong when he played last year. He ended up finishing as a number 15 fantasy running back in points per game. And I'm with you. P. Carroll's going to play whoever's going to help them win football games. And I have seen no reason to believe that Chris Carson can't be that guy and can't be that guy with a lot of carries. But you do have to realize they, they did invest the first-round pick in Rashad Penny. He is plenty talented, regardless of whether he should have gone in the first round or not, which he shouldn't have. But he's plenty talented. I think they're both going to have some value. But Carson is the guy I want. How about uh, you see, Tyler Lockett's clearly the number one there. Where do you have him? And do you like the David Moore or DK Metcalf or anybody else behind Tyler Lockett? I think DK Metcalf is going to have plenty of chances. You know, they're going to throw the deep ball. 
And if he can come down with some of them, I think you're going to see him have some progression. I don't think it's going to be early. Tyler Lockett's not a number one receiver. He's the number one receiver for them. To me, he's not a number one. Because when I say number one, I'm talking A.J. Green in his prime. They can run every route, back shoulder, go deep, run the dig, run the in, run the slant, run after the catch. I don't really see Tyler Lockett doing all those things. He kind of started to last year. Um, I, I've got him up there. He's going to have plenty of targets. He's great run after the catch. Uh, he's going to have some touchdowns. It, you know, it's one of those things that what are we really going to see from this offense? I think there's question marks. So I'm, I think you're still talking wide receiver one A, wide receiver two for Tyler Lockett. I don't think he. I don't think you can get by with him. Yeah, being I, I don't think so either. I'm in the players. middle of like that wide receiver two tier. I have him at 18th overall. Um, I would like to see a little bit more consistency from him from game to game. Um, you know, he's he's been the, the gimmicky big play guy before, as you said, started to come around a little bit last year as a more complete receiver. But he's the guy. I mean, there's nobody else. The defense is not focused on anybody else right now uh, other than Tyler Lockett. That might change a few weeks into the season, but he's going to have to find a way to get open. Um, I like David Moore a little bit. Uh, I He finished last year as the number 65 wide receiver in fantasy points per game. I know nothing to... Nothing to really write home about, but he showed some chemistry with Russell Wilson last year, and I think he could be that option this year. I have him at wide receiver 54. I mean, you could get him in the last round. I mean, people are not drafting him at all, and I will take a flyer that he could be the number two wide receiver in this offense with one of my last picks. So I will do that, and obviously, if DK Metcalf has a big preseason or anything, his hype train is going to go out of control. We already know it. We've already seen the pictures of him standing next to Tyler Lockett on the sidelines and how about his size. But the important thing for fantasy is that the coaching staff there seems to be very pleased with how he's performing so far. It's early, but that's a really good sign for him. Uh, yeah. It's still week one early. He's got, he's got a lot to prove before you're worried about taking him where he's going to go. I, I like what you're saying about David Moore in the last round compared to where you're going to have to take DK Yeah, Metcalf and I would take more of a Metcalf at the, in the same spot right now. Um, I know Metcalf's got the hype, but... Exactly. That's ex- I know I, I would too, and that's probably not very popular, but that's there's more catches, more well-roundedness to get He's catches. got the quarterback trust. He knows the offense, and you have a rookie wide receiver on the other side that's learning. Like, he just... I, I know I saw all the hype videos for Metcalf. Learning yes. and raw, right? He's learning and he's raw. He's not a well-rounded learning. He's not A.J. Brown that was coming out of that same offense. Absolutely. Uh, Seattle's defense, even though they've been top 10 the last four years, that defense got considerably worse in the offseason. They're not somebody that I'm really considering except in certain matchups. Yeah, not at all. I mean, they're worth picking up off the waiver wire when they're playing, uh, you know, San Francisco with a hurt quarterback, Arizona maybe with a hurt quarterback, Arizona early kind of thing. Uh, but they're definitely. Let's go to San Francisco. Where do you have Jimmy Garoppolo now? We saw some success in Kyle Shanahan's offense for the combination of CJ Beathard and Nick Mullins. Assuming Garoppolo is healthy and for the season, where do you have him? You know, I think you got to put him in that same category. We're talking about 6 through 14, but probably towards the bottom of it because I don't really like his weapons a whole lot. They're going to have to find their identity on offense, but I'm a big Kyle Shanahan fan. Uh, he's right there with Sean McVay for me, scheming stuff up. So I think Garoppolo is probably going to put up some decent numbers, but I don't know how many, t- I don't know how many touchdowns they're going to go off. It's going to be a very George Kittle-heavy uh, thing to me, uh, McKissick out of the backfield. They still have the, the fullback on the field some. I don't know what their big plays potential is going to be or – Throwing a lot of those 15-yard digs or the comebacks. And 
they got to get some chemistry. So I think there's a lot to prove here. So I probably yeah, he's my he's my quarterback twenty two. Uh, I just I don't know. There's a lot of unknowns with Jimmy Garoppolo. His injury history is unknown. You know, he hasn't started a ton of games. Um, when he, you know, he was number twenty two a couple years ago in points per game in the brief time he started a couple years of that. I mean, Kyle Shanahan can make chicken salad of you know what with offenses. He's done it with everybody. He did it last season. I mean, if you watched what San Francisco's offense put up down the stretch with no healthy players, it, 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 besides George Kittle, uh, it, it was remarkable. Uh, he's someone that I think, if you're a two QB league, I'm perfectly okay with as your quarterback too. Maybe a best ball guy because he might have some of those big games against bad defenses where he could throw for 300 yards and four touchdowns and Shanahan's got everything rolling. I'm just not sure you're going to want to start him on a week-to-week basis, especially considering, I mean, all the names we've already discussed in that big range I have above him of, you can grab the Philip Rivers, Ben Roethlisberger's, Jared Goff's, Carson Wentz's, all these players of the world, and you could probably have two of them on your team before you even have to worry about taking Jimmy G. I'm going to kind of sit back and wait, but someone to kind of pay attention to because if he's lightening it up or lighting it up early on, Shanahan's offense is sustainable, even with that team. So keep an eye on him. What do we make of the running back situation there? You've got Tevin Coleman. You've got Jarek McKinnon. You've got Matt Breida and a host of others. If you have to pick your poison here, which is the running back that you want to hang your hat on in San Francisco? I'm going to go with Tevin Coleman. I'm a big Tevin Coleman fan. I think Atlanta used him really good, but they had to use Devontae Freeman at the same time. Uh, they can split him out. He catches it really well. He's well-rounded. He can run between the tackles. Probably not a full workload guy, but McKinnon's coming off an ACL, and I'm not a big fan of that, especially with speed guys, especially with guys that make big, hard cuts, and as hard as he runs, I'm not sure where he's going to fit. Breida's a pro. He's going to be probably take some of the carries away, and I think they're probably going to get creative with who's back there, so I don't really like any of them that much, but if I'm going to take one, I'm probably going to take Tevin Coleman late just as a guy that maybe can fit in if he becomes the starter and he's getting – Yeah, and, and I think – I mean, right now I have Tevin Coleman. I would take him in the eighth round. I would take him that high. He's my running back 36. I, I like what he could do in that offense. And here's the thing I know. Coleman doesn't need to learn the offense, and his coach doesn't need to learn what Tevin Coleman can do because they have worked together in Atlanta. So uh, – or they worked together briefly there. Um, so I'm perfectly okay with – that role in that offense being really successful under Kyle Shanahan. When Coleman's been on the field, 13th, 22nd, 26th in the last three years in fantasy points per game. Um, so he does have that outside chance at RB2 upside. He won't get the full workload there, but I'm actually okay with that. That's baked into his current price right now where he's going outside of the top 80. Like You don't have to pay like he's going to get all those touches. Uh, I like him in particular. Jarek McKinnon, I, 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 he's my running back 43. I don't know what to do with him. I mean, obviously, he's coming off the ACL. He's already hurting on the pup list. Uh, re aggravated his injuries on the pup list, although he should be coming off of it in the next few days. Clearly, they ha- Maybe, but yeah. look, at, look at that. Look, you know, Dalvin Cook, think same thing. You're going to have hamstrings pop up. You have things that go along with coming off of an ACL. And even though he did it early last year. Yeah, still, I, I mean, to me, I, I might have to move him down in my latest rankings. I just can't get the mind out of – they could have so easily cut him. They actually had every incentive in the world to cut him, and they didn't. So on the back of my head, I'm thinking they have some sort of carved-out role for him. And I don't know what it is exactly, but i got to figure, like, with all those backs there and the cap, relief, the cap relief that they could have gotten from cutting him, and they didn't, and they actively chose not to, that they have something in mind for him. So we'll see what happens there. 
maybe it's a thing that they think they could split him out a little bit because Tevin Coleman can do the same thing. They could put both those guys on the field at the same time. One of them split out. One of them's in the backfield. One of them's in motion. And, you know, Kyle's one of those guys Absolutely. that can get you know, like Matt that. Blita, we'll maybe that's the role. Uh, if I, I'm not drafting him unless, you know, somebody gets hurt, but it's someone to kind of keep an eye on and they have a lot of options there. Wide receiver-wise, Dante Pettis seems to be the, the favorite in the fantasy industry. Marquise Goodwin is still there. Do you have a do you have a preference here, or do you have somebody that you where do you think Pettis could go with Jimmy Garoppolo as the quarterback instead of Bethard and Mullins and the other players that have been there in San Francisco? Yeah, I, I like Pettis as, as the number one option there. He he can move around, he can play all three positions, he can move in the slot, he can do some stuff. I think they're probably going to get some chemistry going. Uh, good run after the catch guy, really good punt returner, you know those kind of things. Uh, I like him the most because he's the most well rounded guy. Solid, dependable, a little bit upside run after the catch, like I said. So I, I'd have to go there. Yeah, I mean, I, I have Dante Pettis. Where do I have him here? Because uh, I just updated my rankings. But yeah, I mean, I have him my wide receiver 39. I think there's some upside there, but you we're talking bench options at this point. Uh, you know, we're somewhere around round eight or round nine. Uh, you know, Marquise Goodwin's got that boomer bust potential, and, and you can get him pretty late. He's going in round 16 right now. And I mean, at that price. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, I love so at that price, he's worthwhile, but I'm, league, I'm right? not – I know this offense is going to put up numbers. I just don't know where all the numbers are going to go and whether it's so spread out that there's really no major fantasy value behind the man we're about to talk about right now, George Kittle. Among the top three tight ends, which are clear cut, where do you have George Kittle? Right there at three probably behind Kelsey Ertz, and then I think it's Kittle. I, I don't – he's the number one option in this offense, I think, from a pass-catching standpoint. And I, I agree with you 100%. Kyle, the reason I like Kyle Shannon so much as a coach, because from a football perspective, he's going to put up numbers overall, and they're going to put up points. From a fantasy perspective, there's no telling who's getting what. So it's it's almost like the Patriots trying to guess who's going to play and who do you draft on those teams other than Kittle. Kittle is the guy – and he, you're going to get that Ertz Kelsey production. I agree with I you. He is my three behind Kelsey and Ertz, and I wouldn't. Ta- I would consider taking him at the very, very end of the third round, beginning of the fourth round. Uh, he will not be there. So if you're not willing to pay a second round price, or maybe even the first pick of the third round price for George Kittle, just realize that you will have to find help elsewhere. Uh, you're not touching the Niners' defense against anybody. I, I, I'm not sure I'm going to ever have a matchup I feel confident playing them in. Uh, let's move on to Arizona and the number one overall pick in the real life draft, Kyler Murray. Uh, I have seen Kyler Murray's ranking range anywhere from seven to 20. Where do you have him? A lot closer to 20 than seven. You just don't know what you're going to get. You have a college offense that's never been run in the NFL with a college coordinator that's never called plays in the NFL with a rookie quarterback who's never played in the NFL, who's undersized. Who's going to see a lot of things he's never seen before from defenses uh, with weapons that, let's be honest, I love Larry Fitzgerald as much as anybody. He's old. I don't know how they're going to use him in that offense. they got a bunch of rookies other than that, and they got David Johnson. Uh, all of that being said, I think you're going to have some big weeks from him, but I've got him closer to 20 than I got him closer to 7. I, I, I do as well. I'm, I'm a quarterback away. 18. I think, uh, I, I think there's going to be some high upside weeks. He might be a really fun best ball play just to throw on your bench and you know take those three, four weeks where he goes nuts. But people are drafting him right around the top 100 in round nine right now. I mean, I wouldn't feel comfortable until rounds 14 or 15. I just, 
There are too many question marks. I know he's got some rushing upside, but there are so many productive fantasy quarterbacks that you know are going to put up numbers that I, I, I can't see you risking it by waiting and saying Kyler Murray is going to be my QB one and I'm just going to see what happens. I just don't, I don't see this top five upside that I think a lot of people that are talking about this year. I just don't see it. Um, I only see it because I don't think they're as a team, they're going to be very good. And I think they're going to be throwing it a lot in the fourth quarter, which could lead to a lot of scrambles and a lot of, of those junk fantasy yards that kill people every week. Uh, and that's all going to be on him. Cause I don't think they think they're going to be very good. Patrick Peterson's suspension is going to kill this defense. So I think they're going to be out there a lot, but that's also going to lead to a lot of mistakes. So I, I, I would think you'd have better options that are a lot safer. And a lot of what we talked about in this NFC yeah. last preview is, well, and let's talk risky. about the best player risky. in this offense right now and a guy that because of issues with Todd Gurley's health and Melvin Gordon holding out, who's, he's my clear-cut number five overall player right now, David Johnson. Where would you take him? I can't quite put him up in that big four yet with McCaffrey, Kamara, Elliott, and Saquon, but I'm definitely taking David Johnson five before I start drafting those top wide receivers. What do you think? No, I got him right there. I mean, everything's going to go through him. They're going to hand it to him 20 times a game. They're going to throw it to him probably eight times a game. This, his workload is going to be tremendous. He should be fresh. Um, he should be good to go. He's motivated. But everything on this offense is still going to go through him unless they're going to throw it 60 times a game. And then he's going to be playing receiver. And I still think you have that same upside if that's the case. Do you think there's I, a I, role I, for I Chase right Edmonds in this offense overall. without David Johnson being hurt? Is he somebody that you might target in drafts? I absolutely as a handcuff because I think David Johnson, if he goes down, Chase Edmonds comes in and plays the exact same role. And the only time I like to handcuff is when guys are going to do that. Uh, I don't really think there's going to be that much of a place for him. Okay. I, I have him in round 11. So, I mean, I'd be, I'd be willing for you to grab him round 11, round 12 um, as a handcuff. Yeah. So yeah, it definitely make that Johnson's job there. Overall, Two wide receivers to really pay attention to in Arizona, you know, old faithful Larry Fitzgerald, Christian Kirk, uh, I have them ranked right next to each other as my wide, uh, in my wide receiver group. Uh, where do you have them, and do you have a preference on which order you think they will go? They're number thirty-three, and number thirty-four for me, but I have Fitzgerald slightly over Kirk because I believe Fitzgerald's going to play in the slot for his final season, or what we think is his final season. Yeah, he has to play in the slot. He can't play outside anymore. Um, and I'm not sure what you're going to see from defenses with this offense. So if they're playing zone against Larry Fitzgerald, he's going to have some catches if him and Kyler have any chemistry at all. Um, and he's still a gamer. He still put up big numbers in the red zone the last three years. So we'll see. I think Christian Kirk has more upside. But to me, Christian Kirk's the guy that needs to be playing in the slot. And Larry needs to be playing outside. But they can't the way that the roles are right now. Christian Kirk, to me, is not a number, true number two outside receiver. And that's what he is on this team. So you're still going to see some sweeps and some bubble screens and some of that kind of stuff. But Christian Kirk can go deep. He proved that last year. Uh, they're going to run that kind of stuff. But I don't know how well-rounded he is as a true receiver because he's undersized. So both of those things make me a little bit leery of how much does Larry have left, how much chemistry does he have with the coaching staff and with Kyler. And I, Yeah, I think both these guys I'm taking right around the beginning of round seven. So, I mean, if, if they're there for you, uh, I think there's, again, some value to be had there. Uh, you're not playing, as Jake mentioned earlier, with Patrick Peterson being out and just all the changes there, you're not touching uh, their defense at all. So let, let's end with this. Let's end with the team totals uh, and, and see what you think. Uh, in Vegas, the Rams, 
Over under 10 and a half wins. Jake, do you have the over under? I'm going to go with the under. I've got them at 10 and 6. I think they win the division by half a game, but I don't think they're near as good. I think they take a step back. I think uh, the injury bug's probably going to get them. They've been really, really lucky. Yeah, I have a slight over. I have them at 11 and 5. I got to see what what happens with Ty Gurley. I got to see what happens with Jared Goff. I think there are still plenty. For a team that was that good with this much talent, there are a lot of questions uh, coming into the season with them. Uh, how about Seattle? They're at eight and a half wins. I have the slight under at eight. I'm really, really concerned about that defense. I know Russell Wilson's a gamer and Pete Carroll coaches him up, but that defense can't keep getting worse and worse and worse. At some point, the bottom's going to fall out. They draft guys to fit what they do on defense. It's very simple, but it's very good. And it's very team oriented to be really conducive to having a good running game. I think they're going to be nine and seven. I've got them at just a slight over. I think they end up one game or half a game back of the Rams. I think they just missed the playoffs, but I think they're going to be right there. I think they're really solid. I think the way that they play defense is so simplified and the way that they draft and bring guys in to fit with. How about San Francisco? Vegas is pretty optimistic about them. They have them down for eight wins this year. What say you? Uh, I've got it under. I got a six and ten. I don't think there's that much of a difference coming back. They have way too many question marks on offense. I think the front seven and the front four specifically could get after the passer, but I don't know what you're getting in the back end of San Francisco. Uh, I think they're going to get outscored, and I just don't see eight. I got I got six, and you know we talk about all the time if we're one and a half games. I, I have been exactly six too, uh, and, and I, I feel like pretty good about it. I just I don't see this massive jump. The Niners offense put up pretty decent numbers, even without Jimmy Garoppolo. So I think the ceiling for what they can do on offense isn't as high as people think it is. Because they were pretty darn good last year. And I don't think this is an elite top of the NFL offense. I don't think they're going to do what the Chiefs did last year. So if you don't think that, where is this massive progression coming from? I do think they'll take a step forward, but just not all of those wins forward. Uh, And finally, the Arizona Cardinals, five wins. I have them at 4 and 12. I think their defense has a lot of questions, especially early in the season without Patrick Peterson. That offense is going to be exciting, but exciting doesn't necessarily equal good. And that exciting doesn't necessarily equal wins. Do you have them over or under five? I've got them under. I've got them 4 and 12 as well. Uh, I think it's going to be the most watchable 4 and 12 team in the league and maybe the league in a long time. They're going to be a team for Cardinals fans that you're going to have to tune in and watch. Because they're good. they're so young, and they have so many guys that are going to have to prove things. Uh, and I think Kyler is going to be exciting. I, I think there's a huge question mark in Cliff in this offense, and if it works in the NFL, and if it does, you're going to see a lot. This defense has a lot to prove without Patrick Peterson. I think they're going to be thrown all over, and you, you proved you could run on them last year. Now they're going back to a hybrid three four four three after they changed from personnel. I think I just don't know. There are too many question marks. The schedule on the second half of, for them is absolutely brutal. Uh, so I don't think there's a lot of I agree wholeheartedly. There, Jake, really how can they follow you on social media? You can follow me at Jake Jamie Eisner on, on Twitter. Twitter. Follow the show at TDN Fantasy underscore on Twitter as well and at TDN Fantasy on Instagram. We will be back to preview the AFC West later this week. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.